Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Kearney and I am your host. Welcome to Book of Leaves. This is a podcast where I interview people in Ireland who are doing something good for the planet, be they activists or business owners or they work for an NGO or they're just average everyday people like myself who are passionate about the environment and doing their bit to try help it and try help the fight against climate change. And in this episode, as you can see, we're going to be chatting to Rachel Dempsey. So if you are a new listener, you're very welcome. Rachel Dempsey is an absolute legend. I can't wait for you guys to get to know her, to take a leaf or several out of her book. Yeah, I just found this really inspiring and there's a surprise for you at the end as well. So I hope you guys enjoy. Don't forget, if you do like this podcast, you can support on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash book of leaves. You can support the work that I do from this podcast to the volunteer activism that I do. It'd be greatly appreciated. And if you are like me and regular money is not something that you have access to don't worry I totally understand if you could share the podcast that'd be amazing recommend it to a friend if you could leave a review on the apple podcast or give a little five stars on spotify that'd be amazing and if you're able to contribute once off I do have a coffee buy me a coffee.com forward slash book of leaves page where you can contribute any multiple of three euro that you like and I think that is everything there is also a festival coming up run by cultivate and clock jordan eco village I've mentioned a couple of times before weekend um tickets for that are 50 euro so it's not an expensive festival when you compare it to other ones obviously it's still a chunk of change but um I'll be doing a panel talk on uh, during that called artivism so looking at how various types of art forms can be used to not only express activism or reflect activism but to encourage it. Really looking forward to that. That's the weekend of the 25th of June and I'll leave a little link in the show notes for you to get your tickets and yep that is everything. Anything that I mentioned in this or that Rachel mentions in this will be linked in the show notes from names of people she's talking about or programs or books. It's all listed below so that you can find them. You don't need to you don't need to go back and listen to look for anything and yep that's it. I will let Rachel do the rest of the talk is absolute legend i love her and her work her work so much so yeah here she is enjoy now rachel thank you so much for joining me on the book of leaves podcast on this sunday morning it is absolutely lovely to have you here i've been wanting to chat to you for an age so i'm so glad that we were able to do this thank you for being here Thank you, Cara. Lovely to be here. You are a bit of a legend in the Zero Waste Ireland community for a couple of reasons. You've been an activist um, for so long, but some people listening to this might not know anything about you. So can you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. So um, my name is Rachel Dempsey. I run a project called Full Circle Change which is all about um, developing wisdom, connection and resilience so that we can become better ancestors. I suppose I did start off years ago as a, you know, would be, could be change maker um, when I was in my teens. So I went, I suppose, first of all, I went to a very progressive primary school, um, the first Educate Together in Ireland. Wow. Yeah. So that had a huge impact. Amazing. Like it was 
such a radical concept at the time. This was uh, the seventies, you know. So that yeah. it was literally like a group of hippie kids in a, in a somebody's sitting room, um, with all these inspiring teachers who'd lived in Africa and who had amazing ideas about education. So we we were exposed to a lot of sort of anti-racist work and. Uh, you know, cultures of all around the world. I remember learning Native American chants as a kid and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then fast forward to school and I got really into geography. This is secondary school. Like I went to an ordinary girls convent school, but I was lucky because they did have quite good uh, progressive teachers and nuns amazing. and stuff. Yeah, really lucky. So we had an amazing geography teacher who set up a green group. So I was in there. I suppose I was already predisposed to these issues. Um, so I remember we used to do stuff like recycle all the aluminium cans and this again, like mid eighties. So, I mean, looking back, we kind of were ahead of our time. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people have gotten into that in the last two years. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, like, hello, yeah, yeah. come on, get with the <laughs> you know? Where were we in the eighties, man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, probably not alive in most cases. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that led to yeah like after school and getting into like the school really nurtured our like myself and a few friends um they very much nurtured that interest in you know quote unquote saving the world so they sent us off to training so we got trained in dublin and you know development education and stuff like that um so then i i knew i wanted to do something in university along those lines so i was kind of torn between psychology and anthropology development all that kind of stuff so yeah and i'm still very much interested in those two yeah sides of change i suppose the internal and the the in the world change which is where my full circle change project comes in amazing it's literally woven into your very being from going to that school so young so that's amazing and were your were your parents or was your immediate family were they kind of always like aware of of the local kind of environment that way as well were they an inspiration yeah um I'd say my mother's family were quite into the built heritage as opposed to I mean they were into natural stuff as well like the natural world but I remember my mom was in on Tashka you know to try and save old buildings so we I said yeah it's heritage in the wider sense of the world and I suppose just in general um it wasn't environmentalism wasn't really I mean even for me still it's not a separate subject to all other forms of justice social change it comes integrated into the whole package mm-hmm. um so yeah my they were into you know justice kind of stuff um human rights that type amazing. amnesty I remember we were into amnesty so yeah as a kid I was into all of that stuff that's absolutely brilliant so no wonder you've got as much experience and activism under your belt as you do that's amazing but you were saying about being a good ancestor um I listened to the good ancestor um podcast which is brilliant but there's some people who might not have heard that term or know what it means can you shed a little light on what it means to be a good ancestor Mm. so I suppose firstly we tend to take a very short view of time like say if you're editing I was editing a a video the other day and you're literally working in 0.00 seconds aren't you so as like modernity has forced us to become very much aware of microseconds rather than millennia you know so yeah if you take a a very long view of time so from the big bang to creation of human evolution and and beyond 
then you see your mindset completely changes. So the work we do now, it's not so much in my view, it's we're not trying to well, we, we can and we, you know, if, if you want to try and limit carbon emissions in the next couple of years, great. That's all very valid. But actually, if you take a long view, you can kind of see your work now as an activist or change maker as having an impact on future generations into sort of 200 years time, which is actually quite liberating because it means that even if you don't um, manage to lower emissions in your generation or or solve whatever issues that you're looking at, you can feel, wow, well, whatever I'm doing now may have a positive impact on, you know, future generations. So it's 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 kind of um, inspired by indigenous ways of being as well. They tend to think at least seven generations ahead. Amazing. That's probably why they're, they have a lot of intelligence and uh, wisdom. Yeah, it's a really, that's a good, very good explanation of it. Um, and I, do be looking at these microseconds all the time editing the podcast so you have to you have to retrain your brain to think of of years and years and years into the future but what kind of work then do you do because obviously you mentioned full circle and um, change and I also know you are one of the original co-founders of Zero Waste Ireland Facebook group which has helped so many people and I had um, Sorka Kavanagh and Timmy Nicholson on this podcast as well so was it the three of you guys who set it up? No, I set it up. You set um, it up and then oh yeah, they've then, just been there for a very long time. Yeah, Timmy yeah. joined within I think a few months um Amazing. and yeah I learned so much from her actually because she was deep into the zero waste journey I kind of set it up on a whim to be honest like I just was looking for ways of getting rid of stuff in a better way and yeah uh, it's not that I was Mrs you know zero waste guru or anything but I I saw that it didn't exist set it up and then all these cool zero wasters joined and I was like holy moly this is amazing <laughs> you know this is, I'm, I'm learning so much yeah I really did have amazing yeah, oh, it's yeah. such a good group like that's the one that Facebook and social media can be an absolute you know as people know it can just suck the energy out of you it can be really bad but I love Facebook for the for the different groups like just these communities um like zero waste or there's like you know vegan groups and there's all these things that I've just found so helpful in my journey or whatever so yeah it's, it's such a really nice um community but now you're you have full circle change so what is the kind of work that you do then to I guess help other people and communities become um good ancestors and be I guess be more resilient in that in mm. the world at the moment yeah. So Full Circle Change is a relatively new project. It's around a year old. So before that, I have many years of experience as a development educator. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's it's a kind of educational approach which tries to help people make links between their lives here and the lives of people and the issues people are facing in other places. You know, it's rooted in human rights, justice, social justice, environmental justice, um, and it kind of tries to make people learn how to help help see how the world really works. You know, what what the dynamics are, what the rules are, what the injustices are, what the legacy of colonialism and all of that kind of stuff. So the methodologies we use are really transformative because you get people into simulation, for example, activities where you put them into a scenario and they act as if they are in that scenario. Or, or sort of work through what would happen if you were faced with X, Y, and Z. It's very sort of grassroots, like it's sitting around in a circle and figuring things out as a group. So I love all that style of education. So 
I was employed to do that kind of work for, I don't know, 15 years or so with different organizations. And now I'm doing it freelance. So Full Circle Change would offer courses, workshops in that style of education and also bringing in um, sort of creative arts work and holistic wellness approaches as well. So it's kind of merging my two backgrounds, which would be as an educator, activist, facilitator, and then also for a long time, I've been a facilitator of voice work, singing for change, singing for wellness, um, energy work. So I've trained as a capacitar tutor. So capacitar is, it's basically energy and body work, but with a very much, again, a social justice and intercultural approach, trauma informed approach. So it's, yeah, I suppose a lot of the self-care and wellness world is very about the individual and the individual's wellness and, you know, raising, quote unquote, raising your vibration. And that just does not resonate with me at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas Capacitar was set up by an amazing woman who was doing community work in Central America and saw that traumatized communities need very easy, accessible ways of working with their bodies and their energy to lessen the impact of trauma and just sing and singing is a way of doing that because that that just fascinates me like how I sing in the shower and I sing at home I'm not a very good singer but I'm a loud singer and I don't care you know that I'm I'm out of tune and I'm flat and whatever I'll sing anyway but how does it help like the way you're saying that it does because obviously there's things there's obviously things going on that we just don't understand or we've forgotten about energy wise or something then to to if it helps with healing if you could like explain that a little bit it's fascinating yeah so I suppose I always knew innately that it had such an amazing impact on me because I got into singing again back in school um, and then into chanting and stuff. So I instinctively know anyone who's really into singing just knows how much good it does. But now there's a lot of scientific research. Basically, it's a psychosocial embodied activity. So it affects you on every level. So where do I start? I mean, singing helps release dopamine, serotonin, the feel-good hormones. It also helps release oxytocin, which is the human love hormone. So if you sing with other people, you bond quickly with them. And I've totally seen that in my groups because, you know, people who sing together become friends. Not not always, but for there's one crowd of women I have who we we sang together with for a couple of years before the pandemic and they're best buddies like they've yeah they've provided such an amazing support circle for each other that is so lovely yeah so it really does like you get this incredible sense of oneness so it kind of transcends for me it really transcends the idea that we're all these you know atomized individuals kind of struggling to through the world and that sense of what all the religious um and spiritual traditions tell us that we're all interconnected. There's oneness in everything. When you're singing with people, especially harmony singing, and when you really just allow yourself to sink into the sound, suddenly you're literally like it's a meditative state where you feel love for everyone. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. So I really think if people can experience that, they get a sense of what interconnectedness is and deep empathy for each other. Mm. And that can then help fuel change because then people have a sense of that they can reject the idea that we're all separate individuals competing for resources you know so it's yeah. i mean i'm not saying that you know one singing workshop is going to make you into like uh gandhi or whatever you know it's but it <laughs> it kind of um 
it cultivates that sense of wellness, uh, embodiment, um, connecting your psyche and your body. Yeah, just connectedness on very, very many levels. Yeah, deadly. And is it something that say your workshops or if people want to look into this themselves and they say that they haven't got a note in their head? What about those people? Can they do? Can Always, they partake? Yeah, like I don't believe that singing is about performance even though I did perform in bands and stuff, it's not really where I'm at. Like, I think singing is your human right. Like, I suppose I take a very much of a non-Western view of singing. So I studied ethnomusicology and realized, like, the West is such an exception to so many rules. Basically, one of them is that we see music as entertainment or performance and all individual virtuosity. Oh, look how talented that person is. Whereas actually most cultures... Singing is just integrated into everyday life, or at least it was, you know, before colonialization. So it's an ex- it's a tool for expression. It's a tool for bringing the community together to mark different points in, in you know, in society or in, in lives. Um, it has so many other functions. So, yeah, I believe that singing is a human right. Like if you don't like people who've been told they can't sing are wounded on a really deep level. Mm. And then they come to the workshops and it's this huge, big realization I can sing and I, you know, I have the right to sing and singing feels good. It's such a release, you know, yeah. such a release. Yeah. Oh, that okay. That's so good to know. And I know you were saying as well that the work that you do helps people become more resilient. And I guess that need comes from a world where, I mean, in, in the West, it's a, we have a lot of uh, climate anxiety. I know in so many other groups, there's so much more there's so much other trauma that's involved as well that people can learn to become resilient from but for people who listen to this who might have climate anxiety or they might not know how what does it look like so that anyone who might have it can then start I guess healing from it yeah I think it's climate anxiety or eco-anxiety exists on a spectrum as in a lot of people can have a healthy response once they find out about the state of the climate and biodiversity and they let go of those defense mechanisms which keep that at bay and keep sort the of apathy and the yeah, defensiveness like, or exactly like yeah. some I suppose a lot of people have a knowledge of um what's going on in the world but it's in their periphery and then one day they might have an epiphany and they might go, oh my God, that's real. And that's going to affect me and my kids. Once that happens, people can feel, yeah, that their world is a little bit falling apart. That they look around and go, this is all damaging. And it's, it's very, can be, you know, quite traumatic. So basically they can then start feeling anxious about the future or anxious about what we're doing now and anxious about, you know, going on holidays or anxious about eating meat or, you know, anxious about the things that they know now know are damaging. Um, and that anxiety can range from just a mild sort of lingering ever-present sort of gnawing feeling or then it can escalate into sort of waking up at night and worrying about floods or you know um, heat waves or impending food shortages or whatever and then then it can really escalate into interfering with the ability to enjoy the good things in life in the here and now and anxiety, I suppose, is one emotion that's associated with um, climate change and what we're doing to the planet. But it can be grief, it can be dread, it can be fear, um, a sense of loss. So there's just there's such a range of emotions associated with climate and, you know, the climate. Mm. But I suppose anxiety is one of the main ones. And and 
it's funny because like the the care system here doesn't really talk about it. Like I had, I think I experienced burnout last year because I just all of a sudden was like, can't do anything. Um, I did the podcast because I had committed to that and I had tar- like, you know, every second Monday put an interview out, put all the protest plan and everything went out the window. So I went looking for um counselling or therapy and couldn't find any anywhere that, you know, they all say we deal with relationship issues, we deal with grief counselling, all these things and nowhere was there listed climate anxiety so I found um there's a there is a great company called my mind who does like discounted um fees if you're if you're not a big earner so I was able to get um they uh, do a session there for like I think it's like 30 something euro for 50 minutes which is pretty good um in Ireland so I was doing those and uh I've had this really like like funny experience of going in to my counselor and being like I'm going to give you anxiety because, you know, everyone else comes in and talks about their own problems or, you know, maybe politically what's going in the, on in the world. And you might have a counsellor or a therapist who isn't aware and has those defences and it's not, op- it's not open to the crisis. And then their, I guess, um, client comes in and tells them about the climate change and then, you know, that affects them. So obviously... They'd be like, oh, wait a sec. And then I could just imagine my poor counsellor leaving the room going, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, my client is traumatised. <laughs> yeah. That um, I traumatised her or I let her know this big problem that's going to affect her as well. But it's something that is really kind of lacking in Ireland. Um, Like, I don't think it's equipped anyway. Um, I, I don't know if you agree with me or like, do you, do you know if it can be improved or how you could see it being improved? Mm, yeah, I think, I think there's a few things, you know, like, as you say, not, it doesn't mean just because you're a psychologist or a psychotherapist doesn't mean you're clued into the crisis. Therefore, if, you know, if people are coming to you with deep concern about the crisis and that, that doesn't resonate, you could end up dismissing them or, you know, not validating them to the extent that they need. Like I've had that experience as well in a group therapy situation where, you know, I was coming in with, yeah, all those kind of concerns and just, I was deep in, you know, looking back, I was definitely had been overdoing it and I did end up getting a bit burnt out. And I'm kind of more savvy now as to the warning signs and uh, how to catch yourself before it gets too late. And that's what I hope to help other people with as well. But yeah, but the therapist wasn't really, I just didn't get from her what I was hoping, which was like, oh my God, yes, this is an issue. And you're, you know, you're right. And what will we do? You know, helping us to, pro- helping me to process that. Because it was almost like, ah, look, you know, um, that that's obviously something else in your life that you're getting confused with. So I, I would like to think that that's changing a little bit because even in the last sort of two, three, four, eight, five years, the general awareness in society has increased so much like it's much more common for people to take the climate concerns more seriously and of course you know therapists will be in that boat and there is some work being done to help cultivate that you know the psychological society of ireland are working on that a bit but also i think that there's just not the capacity and there's not the affordability in terms of mental health in ireland like mm-hmm. you know not even though there is some subsidized access to therapy there isn't enough of it like post pandemic and with the climate you know crisis looming or getting every year more intense 
we're just going to need so much more volume of, of help. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I mean, I don't think that everyone who has eco-anxiety needs professional help. I think it's only when those emotions get really stuck and when they really interfere with your your ability to, you know, go about your business. But I think eco-anxiety is a healthy response to what's happening. So yeah. it just depends on whether you have the people you can speak to about it. It depends on how isolated you feel with those feelings. Um, that may mean, you know, it does, it, it can mean that you do need that help, you know, depending and it's mm-hmm. perfectly normal and natural to need it as with any other issues in your life. But yeah, I think, I think we need to make a more of a grassroots self-organized thing as well. I don't know if you heard of all, um, the climate cafes in the UK more so. Um, I've heard of them, but yeah. never been to one, never attended one. Um, yeah. yeah, if you could explain for listeners who might not. Yeah, know. I mean, I don't, I haven't been to one either, but I, what I understand by the, I, yeah, the model is similar to something that has been done for grief. Anyone can host them. It's a kind of an open source facilitation thing where you can go online, um, Google climate cafes, find out how to do them. And then go ahead and do them. So it's inviting people to your home or to a cafe or to a, a venue and sharing a meal and giving each person a chance to speak about their concerns. So it's just a way of, you know, deeply listening to one another without judgment around what, you know, what concerns you have. And I think that things like that can be really helpful as part of a yeah. package. Helps with like the build, building of community and your, but also... Uh, I've mentioned this in the podcast before when I was reading um, Active Hope, which I know you also work with Joanna Macy's, uh, the work that reconnects how airing your grievances can help you. And sometimes it sounds like illogical, like saying out loud all these negative things that you feel or that you think or that are happening. But there is actually a release with that. Climate cafes could be lovely. I'd, I'd absolutely love to go in here. And sure, look, we may organise one yet. Yeah, um, yeah. Why not? Um, you also mentioned, of course, building people's resilience um, so that we can manage or or deal with climate anxiety, but also not let it over, overcome us or become us. So how, like, what kind of tips would you have um, for people to be kind of more resilient I know this is what your work delves into but I guess for uh, a brief kind of explanation oh trying to be brief about this <laughs> oh well you can t- take <laughs> as know, long as you like but yeah, I just no. I know you yeah. have like whole courses on this I'm yeah, like we probably exactly. won't get everything in but yeah, um, just in a nutshell um yeah so first of all I think one common tip that you hear out there is take action because action alleviates anxiety I always had this niggling thing that that wasn't the full story but I was kind of feeling a bit weird about it because all the experts say we'll take action but then recently I was listening to a talk by Brit Ray she's written a book I think called Generation Dread anyway she was saying it is about taking action but it's also an inner journey so basically I think we all need to do some inner work. So our society is all about action but not so much about contemplation so I think one way to get more resilience is to pause, you know, not have this knee jerk thing of like, oh my God, climate change, I have to do something as if it was about us, you know, as if you as this individual are the key to, you know, overcoming this this world challenge. Because we tend to kind of think very egotistical, it's not that it's egotistical, but we do have um, such an individualized culture mm. that we immediately go to the I, what can I, we, and we immediately go to productivity, which is another 
whole thing. So yeah, action and individual action are, are defaults. So, and actually I think it has to be the opposite of that. So I think if you look into nature, everything is done, it's symbiotically, you know, in communion with all the other species. So we kind of need to just take a step back and go, okay, I'm just like a bee in the hive. You know, what can I just, what little thing can I do in my corner without getting into sort of savior complexes? Um, and what do I actually love doing? So, and what am I good at? So even if it's, you know, tending a tiny patch of grass or a garden or whatever, or even if it's that it's not directly related to climate, you know, really validating whatever change making you're doing, because all of the issues in the world are interconnected and they all lead to climate change in a way. So being savvy about your activism and not really being motivated by guilt and shame is a huge one. So if you need to step back and really reconnect to nature to then sort of fall back in love with the world so that you can feel your change making from that love and from that sense of being nurtured by nature. I really believe in nature as a way to help us become more resilient and it just ties in so much with the kind of activism we're talking about. It's because of nature and what we're doing to nature that we have this crisis. So also taking breaks, like you mentioned, you took a break and I think that's such a sensible thing and it can lead to people feeling guilty or not, you know, inadequate, but that's so mm. not the case because you're useless when you burn out, you know? So whether it's a week, a month, a year, like I took pretty much a year out there during the pandemic. Um, I just felt overwhelmed by everything. It wasn't just climate, but that was a, a part of it. So I just said, no, can't look at climate for a while. And then I, I just knew I'll come back to it when I'm ready. So I think yeah. breaks are really important. So the big breaks like that are good. And also just learning to distract. Like I think, especially in the early days when people get awakened to this stuff, it becomes all encompassing and overwhelming and you can have this, you know, doom scrolling habits and try to learn as much as you can. And everything you see everything through this lens of, of potential catastrophe. And it's just so debilitating. So I think you really need to actively seek out things like a distraction, like Netflix, I don't know, whatever works for you. Um, that's mm -hmm. to not think about the climate issue. Yeah. Uh, distraction is really really important really really yeah important. just not mate not having it in your life all the time and i know again one thing joanna macy talks about is small wins making small wins your own and um, like when nature is doing well if it's a little plant that's like grown through cracks and pavement and stuff to like take that as your win because we're all connected we're all part of nature so i guess looking at the positive probably helps as well funny because lately i was looking into climate psychology quite a lot and one thing that's missing and that's actually started to be brought in is how change happens and cha change really happens through our emotional landscape not our intellect so if we hear all the statistics about you know warming and ice caps melting and everything it doesn't inspire us to make positive change like we actually need to hear stories stories are much more effective than statistics people relate to them more and they inspire people more so stories about people who are actually doing stuff whether it's big scale or small scale you're much more likely to actually copy them than and it's much more motivating than hearing really terrible facts and figures so and that's not going to be covered by the media because media 
they only look at the negative and our psyches are much more biased towards the negative. So yeah, basically I think we need to make a practice of seeking out positive stories and role models and say, for example, China is doing this massive work in rewilding and people don't really realize that, you know, so it's seeking out the stories that are there about incredible change that's happening and it can be just so motivating and, and inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so important because you're so right. The, the news is, is all about clickbait. And um, I'm reading a book called Humankind by Rutger Bergman, I think is his second name. And he, he talks about, it's so lovely. And he, but he's talking about this idea of humans being mean or naturally self-centered is always perpetuated. Um, and there's actually been studies that have been become famous, like the Stanford prison experiments of what people do when, you know, they they get positions of power. But then he's actually breaking it down and going, these were all manipulated studies. They weren't random controls like they were given obje- the people organizing the studies wanted a certain outcome out of it to show what humans are like because that's what people are interested in or or the book um there's a really famous book that I'm after forgetting the name of where like a boys get stranded on an island could they all like go to war with each other but then Lord in of real the life, flies isn't it Lord of the flies thank you yes but in real life when that happened there was a group of boys that actually all were um shipwrecked in, on an island off the coast of New Zealand or Australia they were there for over a year and they built a community and they got on so well because this is in times of crisis we actually revert back to community um it happens in wartime when places are being bombed it's it's happening in Ukraine not to say that these situations are in any way good or positive but news always focuses on the like tearing apart of society or reframes things and even there are some you know studies out there that have been manipulated with to just perpetuate this more entertaining idea um of you know humans being a certain way when when they're not so absolutely seeking out the positive because there's so much of it once you start like when you once you lift up that little rock like you'll see a whole universe of just kindness and and people being legends and I've said it a couple of times before I had a friend who told me when I started this podcast that I'll run out of people to interview eventually <laughs> and I was like I have no. I, I there's not enough time in the world to interview all the people in Ireland who are doing something anything yeah. that that's good for the planet that we could like learn from so mm-hmm. yeah that is so so important but there was something you mentioned earlier that you kind of teach in your work about the warning signs of burnout so are there are they kind of universal for a lot of people for people to watch out for yeah I mean I think some of them are sort of baked into our society like disconnection from our body we've become a very disembodied culture you know and even more so now with the pandemic and being online the whole time but without going on to too much of a tangent if you think back to the Victorian times and even the scientific um, revolution you know before that basically in the west it's all about how the mind is 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 you you know you are your mind um i think therefore i am so basically we're technically very savvy but emotionally quite you know in our infancy so i think we tend to as a society not be great about recognizing what emotions we're feeling because we're disconnected from our body because our bodies are where the emotions reside so i think mindfulness can be really good at sort of helping us notice oh 
actually, you know, my heart rate is a little bit too fast or, you know, I've got this, you know, aching feeling in my shoulders or my thoughts are going really fast. So when you slow down, you are able to catch those physiological signs. Or you could be that you find that you have a tummy upset that won't go away and you don't really know why. So sometimes because we bypass that awareness of our bodies, we somatize our, our issues. Um, some of us, like we all have different tendencies to to kind of not deal with our emotions, but mm-hmm. one of them can be somatizing. So I think there's self-awareness is really important. Slowing down, taking the time to sort of go, oh, I'm feeling anxious. And even naming it has proven to be really helpful in dissipating the intensity of that emotion. It doesn't mean it goes away, but it gives you a little bit of distance. So I think one way of, of sort of not getting to burn out is to to really reflect on how often do you feel like you're ruminating or, you know, losing sleep or, you know, how many times have you blurted out, like having a night out with mates and you're like, well, about the climate crisis, you know. Guilty. <laughs> so, you know, um, so that kind of self-awareness is, is really good. Like I did actually, I would really recommend a woman called Laura Hartley. She's she's an Australian woman who does um, workshops on burnout and activism. Uh, she's really good at sort of helping you locate yourself in that spectrum from doing okay, but, you know, can have a few kind of worried nights or whatever to to actually ill you know because yeah. when chronic stress leads to illness mm-hmm. so whether it's to do with anxiety uh, climate or or the rest of the stress in our lives it's really just important to to nip it in the bud take the breaks and it's not it's yeah again it's not really that popular in our culture just to to be and not to do mm. but i think we need to do that for ourselves and we also need to do it to change the paradigm absolutely and I guess to look at then the kind of because I know I'd love to talk to you for hours oh my god but I guess if people want to know more and learn more from you you have so many different courses and workshops and things that you offer and not only I imagine you go to you could go to schools and workplaces as well with these like it's not just what's available to to the public that you organize but can you give us a rundown of the kind of things people can attend or work or request from you if you're available Mm, sure yeah so if you're joining into something i'm organizing i have online courses the next one is coming up in september which is called um from eco anxiety to eco resilience basically a lot of the stuff we've been talking about plus delving into what is the climate crisis as in what are the systemic factors that have led to it because i think if people realize that actually things like overly focused on being overly focused on productivity is actually part of the climate crisis. So yeah, if you can understand what happened in our history, without going into mega detail on historical lessons, whatever, but colonialism, productivism, capitalism, the the way the economic system is, has an impact on us and our ability to affect change. So we do a lot of that kind of background work. And then we look at, well, what can you do? How can you approach change? How can you look after yourself? what tools for self-care can you build in so that's an online course then I also have singing workshops and we sing songs from which are inspiring and connect us to nature and I have a one workshop that's happening every Thursday in Dublin at the moment Um, and then periodically I'll have thematic ones like uh, songs for the earth or climate songs that kind of thing so if you're interested in sort of 
bringing your voice into your climate journey that's a good way of, okay. of doing that the plan is to do more flash mobs and stuff like that <gasps> uh, yeah cool. yeah then i do forest bathing so down in north wicklow so for people who are feeling burnt out and want tools to connect to nature better a forest bathing session is good because you pick up ways of slowing down in the forest and things to do in the forest that will kind of really intensify that for you it's so good for your health as well so good for your health yeah as you mentioned the soil and the microbes and the negative ions and there's just so many benefits incredible yeah and singing in the forest as well i do and then in terms of organizations deep ecology workshops work that reconnects workshops um the voice work as well i can do for organizations um yeah anything around music and how music helps to bring about change lots of them actually have loads of loads of them and it's all people can it's full circle change.ie is that the website people can check out amazing and you're on some socials as well so i'll link all of those in the show notes before we round off i did ask you before the interview if you would possibly sing something for the podcast that people could maybe get an example of what it's like to to i guess just sing for the enjoyment but singing that that help so I would absolutely love if you would I guess sing for our listeners we've never had anyone I guess sing on the show before and I mean it's a podcast it would work perfectly if you would Mm, um, sure do that thank you so much okay um so I'm gonna sing a little song by uh Mamus who are two female artists from the states and this song is sung a lot by people who work around the work that reconnects. So they have a concept called the Great Turning, which is the creation of a life-sustaining planet um, and civilization. And you can look up, there's a cool website called Songs for the Great Turning. So we sing a lot of those songs. Badly. Yeah, so they accompany all the spiral of Joanna Macy's work. So I love this one because I love the regenerative work. And this is like the this is where we need to move to, so like coming together for change. So I'll sing you the song and it's self-explanatory. We shall be known by the company we keep, by the ones who circle around to tend these fires. We shall be known by the ones who sow and reap, the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth. It is time now, it is time now that we thrive. It is time we lead ourselves into the well. It is time now. And what a time to be alive in this great turning. We shall learn to lead in love. In this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love. 
Thank you so much for that. That is so lovely, Rachel. I feel honoured that you like shared that with me. Thank you. So I wish hopefully people will check out your singing uh, workshops. I absolutely would love to join one of those on a Thursday in Dublin. So I guess to absolutely switch things up now completely before we go, um, I have some random questions that uh, I like to kind of round off just to kind of learn some new things that I'd love to find out from every listener or every um, interviewee but there's just not enough time in the day so if you pick a letter of the alphabet um, I'll give you a question mm, L. what is your favourite protest memory? Yeah I remember when I was in college in England studying Latin American studies we did a lot of non-violent direct action and I remember throwing myself in front of a bulldozer um, <laughs> with a, loads of other people so it was grand but yeah, that's that sort of feeling of really being alive in yeah la lucha, the struggle in Latin America. That's yeah a word that still comes to my mind. But wow. um, yeah, that was in England. Yeah, it was that sense of everyone together and doing something really radical. I yeah. can't really remember the details because this is going back quite a few decades. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I just remember that feeling of uh, empowerment. Yeah, yeah. it's. Oh. especially for young people I'd really recommend it like I wouldn't do a lot of non-violent direct action now because I have two small kids and blah, yeah. blah, blah. but I think I think it really is a huge part of the puzzle and if anyone has the energy and the wherewithal to get involved I would really say do it amazing. yeah yeah it is something I've never oh, the feeling when you're part of a protest like that is amazing oh my God, um, yeah. would recommend yes so, would you like to ask for another letter Okay, um, what about T? T, give us a book recommendation. Let me see, there's so many, isn't there? Act of Hope by Joanna Macy is a classic that you should read. And yeah. there's another one that, a pack, is it a pocket guide to climate anxiety? Very good. And we'll go for one more letter then before we go. Uh, D? The most beautiful sight or place you've ever seen? Um, the one that's coming to mind. I mean, you never know what the most beautiful one is, but mm. one of the most life-changing experiences I had in nature was going to the Amazon. I will never forget. And actually, it wasn't a visual. Um, it was an audio experience, but the sounds of the forest at night yeah. were so loud and so harmonious and so incredible. Yeah, that was probably one of my most um visceral nature experiences i mean obviously to look at the forest was incredible as well yeah yeah rachel i can't thank you enough is there anything you would like to share with listeners before we clock off for the podcast i'd say if you're interested in sustainability go one step further and get into regeneration the regenerative movement because it's where the inspiration really lies because it's about creating the new world and there's so many culture you know methodologies and groups and so forth working in that way yeah so regenerative movement i would really recommend amazing thank mm. you so much rachel this has been an absolute delight thank you for coming on book thank of you, Cara. now when i mentioned there's a surprise at the end did you think it was going to be a song there you go i absolutely loved that so much and i hope you guys did too um i'm 
away the next couple of Thursdays either working or not in Dublin but when I get back I am definitely going to clue in to these Thursday meetup singing workshops and hopefully I'll be able to do the course in September as well fingers crossed so I might see some of you there don't forget to check out her website full circle change for all the courses or more information she also has a really insightful blog so yeah recommend checking out our website she's on social media as well everything is linked below and i hope you guys have a lovely day thank you excuse me thank you so much for listening to this podcast and i really appreciate it and if you could please share it around to anyone you think might enjoy it as well too and if you've got any suggestions get in touch okay thank you so much and i'll talk to you in two weeks time bye